Welcome to the Heroic Hour, the podcast where we discuss and bring together technology, leadership, and culture, all to help you get fired up and mission ready for life. I'm your host, Nicholas McGill, Chief Experience Officer for Heroic Media. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 14. Now, this episode may be the best and most important episode of the Heroic Hour so far. This is a double barrel episode, which means I have twice as much content to cover because we're taking on a really big topic and I I believe it's worth the extra time. So what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about platform business models. And specifically, we're going to be talking about the 10 perils of platforms and 11 survival strategies to address them. So this is going to be a really meaty, um, content-rich, nugget-rich episode. So uh, let's get started. So we all know that managing and running a business is hard work. In fact, it is so difficult that just about nine of every 10 businesses in the United States fails just after 18 months of operations. And only four out of 100 businesses live to see their 10th birthday. And one aspect of uh, failure that's not often talked about is, is this, the lens that is used uh, and applied to strategic thinking, the, the, how the viewpoints and perspectives that we use to guide and inform our decision-making. And in that, in that nugget, uh, in that lens, you know, very few professionals and business owners uh, for organizations of all sizes are really looking at the landscapes of their decisions uh, in terms of the platforms they're dependent upon um, and and the relationship that they're creating there. And that's really what we're going to talk about today because the bottom line is, is if you do not have a strategy to win or game the platforms you're using to grow your business, I guarantee you the platforms themselves are designed to game you to their benefit and you will suffer needlessly uh, and could, could get into a lot of hot water and, and red ink uh, if you're not careful. And, you know, especially, you know, it's it's especially true of established big businesses who are very platform de- dependent and very blind to these dependencies, right? Harvard Business Review just released this article saying that the three to year, three to five year strategic plan is dead because those plans are simply failing to be useful or relevant. And all of the smartest minds can't figure out what's going on and how do we have a strategy that's going to work and help and and work for us in such a in, uh, volatile market. They think it's impossible to have strategy in the the global information age, um, and I disagree. I believe something different is going on. I think there's something wrong with their lens, um, and it's funny to me how easily they've given up. Uh, when the problem gets hard and they call it impossible to feel better about themselves. But the reality is that that strategic thinking and th- those viewpoints, that that planning is more viable than ever. It's just you, you need to adjust your lens to be more adaptive. Now, 
most companies, as I said before, don't recognize how dependent they are on those platforms um, or or as well, they also don't understand that those platforms that you use as tools and networks influence the decisions and behaviors and attitudes around technology, leadership, and culture. They affect every aspect of the business. And as you know, TLC is Heroic's bread and butter. And as an experienced designer, as a consultant, as a guide, my job is to help organizations develop that and that lens and hone that lens so that they can continue to grow and, and succeed in this newly transformed landscape and market that they find themselves in. And the reality is that, you know, with this new challenge of strategic thinking and, and dealing in the environments of today, there's no amount of buzzwords or BS that, that is going to help guide the, the paradigm shift that leaders and managers need to make in order to see the landscape in, in a new adaptive lens. They, they quite simply need a new way of thinking and very few people have a new way of thinking or have an adaptive lens to navigate the global business landscape. Lucky for you, I'm going to be sharing a little bit of our lens with you, the heroic lens, free of charge, and of course, I encourage you to pass it on. So as I said before, on every business journey, no matter where you're at or, or where you're going, you're going to end up using platform models to help your business or organization grow. The platform models make up a majority of uh, the the businesses, the tools, the apps, the networks, uh, both digital and face-to-face, -face, that organizations, large and small, completely depend on every single day. And here's the focus question that I want you to think about. I want you to think about that stat that I introduced at the beginning of the show. And given that most businesses don't make it past 18 months, do you think the most successful platforms who supply all of the tools and resources and the apps and all these great things and the networks, uh, do you think that the platform providers uh, and the platforms themselves that we use every day, do you think that they're designed to enable uh, and help the 10% of businesses that are going to uh, win over those 18 months or even the 4% that are going to make it to their 10th birthday? Or do you think it's far more likely that they're the business model, the platform business model is designed and optimized in, in a wayward behavior to appeal to the 90 plus percent of, of the businesses and business owners who are just going to throw money at every problem and seek a half-ass easy button. Who do you think they're targeting, right? And who do you think the feature set is for? It's a no-brainer. So don't buy the hype. Here's the takeaway and the key insight, you know, you need to lead off with and understand, uh, it is the rule of the concrete jungle. A majority of platforms are designed to feast on the 90 plus percent of businesses out there that are destined for failure. So the prescriptions of those platforms as to how you should behave, how you should operate, if you follow them to the letter, chances are, the odds are, they're most often designed to maximize their profit and growth, not yours. And if you're smart, if you're tenacious, if you're gritty, if you're discerning and you're heroic, you will not be their next meal. If you learn to understand how these platforms work, how to see them for what they are, um, understand their nature, you can wield them to your advantage uh, and and really succeed with them. You can learn how to hopscotch your way through, through growth across platforms, networks, and tools, and preserve your digital liquidity throughout the process. But first, you need to understand what platforms really are. So what are platforms? What, are the what is the platform business model? A platform is an organization based on 
enabling value creating interactions between multiple parties, usually producers and consumers, like buyers and sellers. A platform sets the stage for the audience and the performer to come together. That's what a platform does. The platform model um, is so common these days that it's an essential technology and model to study in and of itself. Like if you're in business school right now or you're re-educating yourself, you need to understand all about the platform business models because they're just all over the place. Just about every mobile app, social network, event, festival, conference, you name it, it, it relies on uh, building a platform and helping it grow. Platforms are at the epicenter and at the core of the new global gig economy as well. And at their best, platform businesses increase our reach, our capabilities, and connections. They, they give us some great features, but at their worst, they consume all of our resources and attention uh, for negative gains, right? For, for negative returns. And in the gray area between those two extremes, the, the, the reality that most people don't pay attention to is that platforms are, are the default desktop and workspaces of our lives, and they have a profound influence on our attitudes, beliefs, perspectives, and thus our culture, our behavior, our actions, and our results. These are well, this is, and, and by that impact, I mean it's well beyond the intended use of just interacting on the platform itself. We've got an article on GetHeroic.com right now that talks about uh, the influence that um, software platforms has on a company's culture and its decision-making engine, um, and I'll put that in the show notes for, for this episode as well so you can find it and dive deeper if you, if you want. Um, but I want to walk you through some examples of platforms so you really understand just how pervasive they are uh, and where they, where they exist in your work and your life. Facebook, of course, is, an, is a platform for social exchange in return for bringing, you know, large masses of people to focus their attention in the same place. They make tons of money charging others to advertise to those people on the network. Amazon, of course, is a platform that brings buyers and sellers of just about everything together these days. Um, anywhere you've got a middleman creating an environment for different groups um, where you're bringing them to, together to create value, you've got a platform. Face-to-face -face business networks, those are also platforms. Trying to bring diverse groups of professionals together, you know, in the spirit of facilitating better relationships and collaboration, that's a platform. And of course, you know, all of the email and CRM services out there are platforms, and most of them try their damnedest to own your database. Whoa, so watch out about that as a side note. But, you know, along with that, Everything as a service pretty much is a platform. Software as a service, hardware, and so on. Uber is a platform model, right? Just about every modern business model involves or directly connects to a platform model. A casino is a platform. You know, bringing gamblers and entertainers together to create an opportunity uh, uh, to spend money <laughs> or blow money, rather, that's all part of creating a platform. And, and so this the platform, although we like to think of specific business models like Uber and Facebook, the reality is platforms are everywhere and you need to apply that lens and look at them and they help you understand how the sausage is made and how the businesses work. You're probably familiar with many of these platforms, but you know, here's an idea that you might find new and interesting. Um, you are a platform. Anyone who wants to be a, an authority, a thought leader, an expert, an influencer, a personal brand, you are a platform. You create value by connecting ideas, curating resources and goods and services, and bringing them to, to uh, other people through 
you know, the lens of your actions and words and content and expressions, you, uh, you may give information to the right people or, or put valuable goods from entity A into the hands of customer X. You are a platform. Now, that isn't talked about that much because when you get down to it, the platform leaders, the providers, the people who are creating the business models out there uh, find themselves in kind of a pickle because they find themselves competing with others for that spotlight. And you are on that list. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting because you are directly and indirectly competing for attention with um, the platforms because that's an essential requirement for the platforms to survive. So let's dive deeper and talk about some of the more specific uh, perils of platforms. And, and I've got a list of 10 that I want to walk through. Uh, number one, platform plays are always business models. One way or another, if not for money, then power and influence. Um, platform business models, they make money by wielding control and influence and, and reach over a certain crowd. They call it, they may call it facilitating transactions and helping business owners connect or whatever it is in the networking case, but I'm calling it what it is in terms of what you need to know and how you need to, the attitude you should have as you look um, at platforms. Even if the platform is a nonprofit, they're, they're not designed, nor do they operate chiefly for the benefit of everyone involved. That's a myth and misnomer, uh, and it can get you into a lot of trouble if you fall for that. Okay, number two, as I already mentioned about, you know, that uh, nine out of 10 businesses are destined to fail in the first 18 months, platform business models are, are designed in a way that really relies on large growing numbers of users and members in order to scale and profit. So by default, like right out of the gate, in order to scale and profit, they're prone to position 100% of the business po population, right? Or they're, they're prone to position on themselves to target 100% of the business population, not the technology and leader leadership and culture of, of the 20% who are going to make it. They're not designed to target winners or enable winners or, or encourage even the right behaviors. They would not, many of them would not scale and survive um, if they only worked with winners. And that's an important observation and insight to take away. Because if you paid attention to the stats, the, the reality is, you know, they tend, the platforms tend to offer features that support popular business ideas and they favor what is trendy over what is effective because they know what is trendy will attract the crowds and the users. And so, you know, if you paid attention to the stats, that means that the wisdom of the crowds in terms of success is not in favor of popular ideas. And so I'm very apprehensive when we talk about the wisdom of crowds, because what becomes trendy and viral these days is usually overhyped and not at all validated or back modeled. You know, and, that, and that's why, you know, we at Heroic, we dig deeper, we get serious about finding strategies, tech, leadership, and culture that actually work and, and are effective um, and efficient for that matter. Most platforms rely on these big numbers of users and they must, they have to target everyone in order to make it. And that means supporting and encouraging some really stupid or unsustainable ideas and engagements to attract those confident entrepreneurs or, or, or those businesses looking to grow or mature into the next age. The bottom line, most platforms are optimized to be a numbers game hustle. They're optimized to prey on or exploit or, or derive a majority of their profit from people 
um, beyond the value that they're they're delivering, they're designed to exploit the the, the people who aren't going to make it, right? To take advantage of people who aren't wicked smart and heroic. That paints them in a negative light. I'll 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 bring this back to a degree of fairness later, um, and in a future episode, I'll talk about what it takes to build a great platform. But I really I know that. You know, no one has ever described a platform as a dangerous thing or commented on the dark side of how they they really work to succeed. But, you know, for you to survive and thrive, to be mission ready, you need to know that not every new business trend is designed to truly empower you or spit out butterflies, rainbows and pots of gold. That's that's just the reality. But that's not what you're hearing on other podcasts or, or on the media, right? They're all promoting and propping up every startup, every, every platform play, any platform as a service, whatever it is, they're trying to prop it up and inflate the value into it. Just because it's popular, just because it's viral, doesn't make it good or an effective tool for your business or for your own growth. All right, number three, many platforms create crowded markets for service providers that lead to these highly competitive and commoditizing arms races that in turn lead to an ultimate price war, which in turn leads to cost cutting, which in turn leads to chipping away at the quality of the product or the service that they provide. And this happens not in years or months, but sometimes in a matter of days or hours in a turbulent race to the bottom. You know, it's, it's really important to understand what happens when you attract two parts of an equation, buyers and sellers together. Um, Many of these are, are crowded markets, and that competition, that noise makes it really hard to connect with your customer, and you need to know that when you're going into them. All right, number four, platforms are not just about technology or opening doors to new customers. The platforms you use have a profound impact on your culture. They influence the behavior and the attitudes and strategic thinking of your business, and if you're not careful... You'll be allowing platforms to define your culture, and that is usually a losing proposition because of what I've already said about them being designed to feed the trendy ideas, whatever the popular notion, not what is effective, right? We, by default, think as a, as a buyer doing business with a good business that they have our best interests at heart, but this is not true. When you understand how a platform business works, how they, they're playing the numbers game, that ultimately... Their focus is on driving massive amounts of volume in numbers, ma massive users, massive amounts of members, not having the best solution for their members. All right, number five. Here's, here's a weird one, but this is true. And uh, this is another thing that people don't seem to understand is most platforms incorporate bad social metrics to drive your engagement and participation on them. And by bad social metrics, what I mean is that these are social metrics that are fundamentally rigged and corrupt and are, are uh, perpetuated as a way to get you a, as a user and a member addicted to engaging on the platform and competing in the popularity contest. Likes, followers, connections are all claimed to represent social capital, right? That's what they're supposed to measure is social capital. If they're supposed to be key performance indicators of your level of connection, reach, and relationship and influence, right? wrong because every single social metric patently fails to represent or even perform as a fair indicator of your influence or social capital. This is because they're taking a quantitative score, right? They're, it's a numbers game. If you're best friends with the Pope, 
what is your true level of influence? Now, um, if we were to compare that in follower mode and your only follower was the Pope, what is your level of influence? So the reality is these metrics are bunk. They, ha they are trying to quantify qualitative relationships and they do a really poor job of it. Why? All to get you to participate in the popularity contest. They don't even care if you do it holistically or truthfully or honestly because they're just getting you addicted to participating. They're simply designed to keep you participating. They're easy to game. These, these metrics are easy to game and manipulate, as you probably know. If you've purchased our Dark Arts uh, Guide to Social Media, you definitely know how easy these metrics are to manipulate. Um, and as an experienced designer, a guy who helps build these types of platforms, and, and you, you know, I'm telling you, my loyal listeners, I'm telling you to use it, but don't fall for it. Number six, here's a big one. We live and work in an, in an attention economy, and you directly and indirectly compete for uh, attention with the same customers that other platforms do, and this creates an inherent conflict. So you may find yourself in this super modern conundrum that nobody's talking about on any platforms or in any business network for that matter. On the one hand, you're using these platforms to help you connect and, and access these new potential customers. And then on the other, you might be propping up platforms that ultimately hinder your ability to succeed. And what I mean by that is, is for starters, you may find yourself in a power struggle to own the relationships that you develop on a platform. Right, the connection and context of the conversation with prospective customers, because platforms, you know, they thrive from, uh, they absolutely depend on being part of the conversation between two people, and at the same time, this very nature makes them a distracting, cock-blocking third wheel. Right, you want to have focused attention with your potential customers. That would be ideal because it's easier to do business, it's easier to inform and educate. Um, and, and your customer will evaluate the options uh, faster and on your terms, of course. Um, I won't, won't deny that. But, you know, it's like trying to go on a date with that third wheel. The platform becomes the third wheel and they want attention too. And so it's important to call that out and understand that as a part of the nature and one of the perils of platforms. I just want, you know, when I say perils of platforms, of course, that's a sexy headline to, to bait you into listening to this, but I just want you to understand the nature of platforms so that you can do better with them. Number seven, another little wrinkle that no one mentions when we talk about platforms is when they're lost in worship, you know, is, is that the services you may offer on the platform today may be so awesome and so great and so such awesome ideas that they're offered by the platform itself tomorrow and all your efforts that are encouraged uh, and that that attracted customers to the platform now work against you in cases like these. And um, some common examples of that, the the app uh, or feature that you offered in the app that you developed gets cloned by the platform provider and offered as a default or loss leader, effectively putting you out of business on that platform if that was your only app. Um, some examples of that, Salesforce.com does that with Force.com and developing on Salesforce. They'll either buy you or clone you if you're good. It happens. I've seen it happen. In my opinion, that's not good. Uh, you know, another thing that's going on with some traditional platform plays uh, is, is that the Chamber of Commerce like might love your innovation lab, your accelerator, your hacker lab, or your startup, and they want to start its own. Then uh, and, and other people will get in on the game, too. And the problem is, is this, they're claiming to serve the community, but what they effectively do is fragment it, right? 
Um, another case of this is developing apps. Like how many Apple apps were really third-party apps before they got cloned or bought by Apple? Same thing's true with Android as well. Just just think about that. And I know a lot of developers out there and a lot of my friends who are developers out there know this battle all too well. But my point isn't to discourage you from, from doing business or building a great app. On the contrary, I, I just want you to walk away uh, uh, to be able to walk into the concrete jungle with your eyes wide open, mission ready for life, mission ready to su succeed and thrive no matter what shitty games or conditions are thrown your way. That's what this podcast is all about. All right, number eight. Here's another fun platform fact. In order to grow, many platforms are rigged to benefit one part of the transaction over the other, usually buyers over sellers or premium members over worker bees. You need to know how the platforms you use are weighted so that so that you know how to respond in a way that makes them serve you. Um, a good example of this and, and one that I love to pick on is 99designs. 99designs is a great example of a weighted platform. They favor the buyer side by creating, uh, they're, they're designed to attract designers like graphic designers and customers. It's that simple. And so, but they weigh it to favor, um, the purchasers of, of graphic design by uh, creating design contests that require the designers to do a lot of work up front. And to quickly walk you through that, what happens is the designers in turn, they adapt and use generic templates and sh a shotgun approach to submitting a lot of generic designs. And the result of this is that the buyer has to choose from 100 crappy designs that they're going to overpay for the generic one of their choice. And the designers resell any new iterations of the generic work that they've done, which in turn, you know, this further commoditizes the graphic design industry. It's a really cruel system. And when you got to be careful when you're participating in a platform that weighs one side of the transaction over another. In 99designs case, uh, another way to think of it is 99 families go hungry because 99 designers have competed and given all this free work up, uh, done up front that influences also the other designers along with the client uh, in return for potential business. To me, this is a losing pop, uh, a proposition. Use it, but don't fall for it. And you just remember that these platforms are everywhere. They are everywhere. And all the other supposed gurus out there and the thought leaders who spew out the buzzwords and bubble talk, they worship all of these platforms and all of these platform plays. But, you know, are they really good for you or is it just the next overhyped high fructose corn syrup of, of business buzz? You need to pay attention. They're not all bad, but, you know, a lot of them are. A lot of them, if you're not going in with the right strategy, they may not be bad. I'm not, I'm not trying to judge you know, the, their uh, moral stance as a whole, but I'm saying they might be bad for you, you specifically. Um, all right, number nine. Here's another dark side of platforms, right? You know, many of them rely on churn as an asset. Uh, for example, uh, business networks often rely on churn, uh, and, and they're regularly adding and losing members. And you've seen this. You've seen this in networking groups, BNI and LATIP. The new members have a high level of trust and faith that honest participation, volunteerism, and engagement as prescribed will produce a good return on their investment, as if by magic or karma. But then, as you become more informed and more educated and you figure out what's really going on, you figure out that, you know, uh, you just paid Tom Sawyer to whitewash the fence. It doesn't really feel that good. They don't get... Um, you as a member don't get the returns you were promised. It didn't work as advertised. And so those old members leave. 
the the platform doesn't change. They don't care that you left because most people don't figure it out or they stay on the ride long enough to make a significant profit. This is the advantage of of churn in the platform model. This is how they do it. Because again, we go back to that stat, you know, uh one out of ten people is gonna be smart enough to have their business exist past eighteen months, and only four out of a hundred are gonna last to their their tenth business anniversary, right? So you're really, you know, you're not there to serve the smart people usually, and you can get away with bloody murder on a platform play, especially when you have the numbers to back it up. And this is why a lot of business networks are slow to change, slow to move, slow to adapt, and very, very slow, if not fundamentally failing to serve their members. You know, most platforms claim that they connect you with a valuable transaction, but they usually end up creating a price war among the competitors, right? Because it's flooded and saturated with your competitors. They lower the, this in turn lowers the quality of the products and services offered because you don't want to throw your best effort and your best work into a commoditized um, market. And this creates a a lose-lose for buyers and sellers in in the long run. So you need to be mindful as you navigate these platforms. And, you know, it's use it, but don't fall for it. I want you to take this away and decide what you need to do with it, but use it, don't fall for it. All right, number 10. You know, you need to be where the specialized industry platforms. And by this, I usually mean like the software as a service side. There's a lot of super specialized platforms and the and the obstacle created by these platforms that, again, the salesmen and the marketers and, and your team might not talk about is on you know, in terms of the whole life and the holistic health of your organization and your business, those platforms are often the slowest to adapt and change. Why? Because there's no demand for the change because, again, only four out of 100, only one in 10 users is really going to know um, that what is the current feature set isn't working for them, isn't serving them, or doesn't address the, the new demands uh, of the industry or the market. This is why they're slow to change. Because it's far more profitable to make money on the the nine out of ten people until they go out of business, and but don't worry, there's plenty of other people uh, uh, left around that you can bring back in or that you can bring in. So, you know, this is this kind of goes back to why you know Fortune 500s and Harvard Business Review are talking about abandoning three to five year strategies uh, because they don't know how to respond to the fast pace of change, but they're not connecting to this insight of. Uh, you know, they, they can't escape their clunky, outdated platforms. And and the problem isn't with three to five year strategies. It's, it's recognizing the getting really nitty gritty about what's actually going on there. You know, uh, using these, creating these dependencies with these platforms by looking for hyper specialized ones that don't get updated or, or um, addressed as fast as other more generic platforms are, this is a dangerous game. You need to be mindful of where you do it. It gets very expensive. And, you know, there's you got to think only 10% of the population even has a will to pressure the platform provider to change and adapt to the needs of the market. This is why things are so slow. The fault isn't with strategic thinking. It's looking at these types of dependencies and understanding this relationship to this new platform world. That's what I want you to take away here. So those are the 10 perils of platforms that no one talks about. Hopefully, they've got you mad and rowdy. Um, And now we're going to shift gears and and discuss kind of how to survive and thrive uh, on a platform. And so now I'm going to give you uh, 11 tips on, on how to do that. All right. So number one, 
you need a plan for any platform. As I, I started this, you know, at the beginning, I said, you need a plan, you need a strategy, you need to uh, consider figuring out how you're going to use a platform before you invest in it. I don't care if it's just you, a, a small biz or a budding empire, you need to take the time to strategically think about the specific actions uh, you will take and the tactics you will deploy to ensure that you win with any platform you use. You need to make domination and winning your game, not participation. What platforms want to sell you on is the, the minimum requirements, the minimum resources required just to participate. If they were honest about what it took uh, to succeed, that cost, the true cost of winning on the platform, which is what every single platform user wants to do, would be much, much greater. You know, if, if you enter a marketplace, a group, a network, just to be another voice in the crowd and expect to win, you're freaking crazy. Study the landscape, know your strengths, and unapologetically play to them, right? That's what being heroic's all about. Number two, you need a litmus test, a lens to evaluate the potential platform you're considering or, or ones that you're already currently using that you can backtest. This litmus test must be based on a reasonable, realistic outcome and real use case. It can't bank on you reaping all the features and benefits that are advertised by the platform provider. It doesn't work out that way. That is super unrealistic and very stupid. First of all, when it comes to features uh, of any platform, you're only going to use a certain number or you're only excited about a certain number, usually a very small percentage of the features of whatever a platform is, is offering, like 2 or 3%. So look at the price tag and ignore the other features that you're not going to use. Now evaluate if those features that you're actually excited about using, the ones you're going to use, um, that are actually going to benefit you and you, you're confident that they'll benefit you, now ask yourself, is it worth that price? That's how you need to evaluate it. It doesn't matter how cool the other tools or features are because you're not going to use them and you don't want to pay or make a donation to the company because they made all of these cool features that you're never going to use. That's not how you shop for tools for business. The best, toy, the best toys you have are the ones you play with. The others don't count for much, right? You need to look for the extreme low limit outcome. That is like the realistic outcome. Here's a pro tip. The realistic outcome with any platform is usually 1% to 10% of the advertised outcome, right? So what, what you're shown on the package or on the box or in the sales pitch um, in terms of returns, you need to, to whittle that down and say, you know, if you invested in Platform X for a year and pulled out one lead or only one business deal, would, would that tool, would that platform be worth it? Would that service be worth it? That's the reality. That's the proper, hardcore, thrivalist business litmus test for a platform. If, if the, the ads and the salesmen are asking you to pull, you know, or, or, or asking you to pull one deal out of your first year, if they're telling you that it's going to happen, the real experience, what's really going to happen, is going to be one-tenth of that at best, right? Meaning that you'll get one client for 10 years of using it. And who benefits in that scenario? Do they care? You know, do they really care? No, they've got it all mapped out. They know what your lifetime value is. They know how long people tend to last on any platform, right? So, you know, if you're, if you're wondering uh, why I, I'm calculating on this litmus test of such an extremely low return, it's because platform, you know, the platform promises are notorious for being extremely full of shit, right? 
And, and the risk is that they can, in fact, put you out of business. The glut, the sloth that they introduce from not being fast, from not delivering the returns as promised, and the time it takes your business, your organization, all of your teams to become aware that it's not delivering and it's not working out, this is very, very expensive and deadly. So I don't screw around when vetting platforms for my practice or with my clients either. Number three, you also need to assess the true cost of success on a platform. I talked about this earlier. You know, you need to include all of the resources, the time, energy, and attention required to make it work. We call that your T. Where are you pouring your T? What is the T required um, to, to make this work? And you also need to, to factor in the impact of deferring resources from one area to another. That's really critical. The cost of making an engagement on any platform very successful for your business is much higher than just the cost of the platform alone or implementation alone. In fact, when you really measure all of the T required to pour into just about any platform ecosystem to a successful level, the number of platforms you really can be involved with uh, and risk investing in is a hell of a lot lower than what you think, and it's way lower than what the industry people, the marketers, and the salespeople are telling you. You need to know there's a true cost of success, not the lowest cost of the lowest level of participation. The reality is if you looked and applied this lens to many of the platforms, even social networks, if you looked at the social networks and said, hey, I want to win at social, um, what do we need to do? The reality is I bet if you evaluated it through this lens, you'd realize that you don't have the capacity, the resources, or, or the time to own all of the social platforms. You need to narrow it down to a few that are really going to work out for you. That's th this is the kind of thinking I want to generate and instill and inspire in you um, on this episode, right? All right, number four, as a sound adaptive strategy, you should seek to preserve and measure your digital liquidity on any platform you're working uh, with, right? So digital liquidity, you're like, huh, what the hell is that? Um, by that, I mean... You need to be able to assess the amount of control and freedom you have as you move any digital assets um, and, and how to move those without a great hindrance uh, or loss in value. That's what basic digital liquidity is. And that's a heroic concept and one that my team, my team and I pioneered and we can help you figure out. But you need to measure, hey, what is the stickiness here? How, how free am I to move about the cabin? How can I, do I have the cap capability to pick up my data and go? right? Can I go somewhere else easily? And if not, that that becomes a sore subject because if that platform isn't on top of what goes on in the market, you could be stuck. You could be hosed and you could deal with the outcome there. Um, and it's not going to be positive. You're going to get dragged down with them too. All right. Number five, you need to figure out a way to preserve the assets you create, build, or cultivate, or curate on any platform you use. And this includes the relationships, the connections, the contact info, the database, the copywriting, the visual assets created, all of that content, all of those things. Because all of the time, energy, and attention you're pouring into winning on any platform, you want to make the most of that work in the things that you create in the process. You're going to want to upcycle any content and contribution or creation, anything you create on the platform. You're going to want to reuse or carry it over to other platforms to make it easier to win on other platforms and maximize your effectiveness across multiple platforms. Right? The best way to do this is to focus first on the most feature-rich, demanding platform and then uh, all the, and apply all of the assets that you make for that one um, and, 
and use those to guide and trickle down to the the other lesser platforms. And yes, you can prioritize platforms by what you're pulling out of them. Okay, number six, you need to inoculate and protect your organization from the cultural overreach and influence of any platform you may use or be considering, you know, like anything you're considering using. This is yet another reason to formally document your culture, your purpose, your mission, your vision, your values, and and most importantly, your valued behaviors. You should create at least five value statements and 10 valued behavior definitions to ensure that you have an independent cultural compass that won't be misaligned or skewed by the tools that you use that make up your workspace. These platform providers have a tremendous amount of influence on your your decision-making, your thinking, your culture. You need to inoculate yourself against this. And, you know, another thing to note here is culture, culture trumps strategy, especially in times of high speed and high volatility. And, you know, a robust culture can get you out of trouble and keep you in a nimble and adaptive position come what may. And this is why every episode I talk about bringing together TLC, technology, leadership, and culture. They all have to work together. They can't be treated separately. All right, number seven, um, a good way to succeed on any platform is to sell things to the most engaged users on the platform. Just because you're a service provider doesn't mean you should only shop on a platform for the the target customers. On, On many platforms, you can go in with another strategy. There are more of your peers and competitors on a platform than there are prospective customers. The most engaged users are often the other service providers. They're primary, you know, they're the primary consumers of the content. They're drinking up whatever blog post the platform kicks out. You know, they're drinking up their own hype and propping up their own engagement numbers uh, that the platform runners are advertising as if it's a, you know, this big commotion or collection of potential customers. All of that activity, it's really mostly, um, it's really the service providers. Let me put that another way in plain freaking English. When we look at studies about social media engagement, there's, there's no study that pulls out the subset of marketers that make up the population participating in any study. When we look at social media activity, how many of them are marketers, do you think? I would argue most of them. And by marketers, I'm including small business owners and, and solopreneurs who are trying to hustle and, and grow their business. So a majority of that activity is way overhyped compared to people who are just farting around or are your you know, potential customers. So when those stats, you know, hit the airwaves and they say, oh, look at all this activity and there's all these deals to make, um, you know, question that. Ask yourself, what's really going on here? What side of the what side of the the uh, transaction is really being represented by that activity? And anyway, no matter what happens, uh, a good way to win in these situations is to go in as the Trojan horse and the contrarian to bring in the counter platform. You want to find tips and, and guides and provide these things to develop products to sell to the most active users because that those are going to be the easiest to sell to. If you can find a way on a platform to sell b- to both sides a- a- of the transaction, why not? If you're a smart service provider and a thought leader, you can be selling solutions to target uh, to your target market and your peers and other competitors, which only makes you look better because you are the leader's leader at that point. This elevates your brand further and can make you a decent chunk of change to help make up for any losses you might incur from um, navigating uh, all the platforms you're engaged on. All right, number eight, uh, if you want a more genuine and sincere human experience with a platform, look for people-centric platforms that are small but growing. So on the human side, on the holistic side, 
uh, on the more organic and natural grown side, there are good platforms out there. But they don't grow as fast and they're, they're harder to find because they don't weigh the transactional relationships or they don't use those BS social uh, stats to get people addicted to certain levels of participation. Um, what you're looking for in a good platform are, are the platforms that, are, that offer a five-star feedback with peer review system that, that are more qualitative. They're trying to represent people and evaluate them uh, qualitatively. And they have a clear shared purpose and transparent design principles behind them to benefit um, all the members uh, and all the users of that platform. That's what you're looking for if, if you want to really look for something to invest in. If, if they don't have that and all that I just described, it's not a sincere platform. You need to game it. You, you need to game it, not and you know invest your feelings in it because you, you'll get used otherwise. I know that's hard. I know that's tough, but that's the reality. Welcome to business. Do you want to be the one out of 10 who succeeds to 18 months or the, the four out of 100 who makes it to your 10 years? You got you to be hard-nosed about this. All right, number nine, you're always better off having a habit of drawing people back to the little corner of the web that you control and own and create. Your website, your web presence, this is where the magic happens. That That is the real date. That is the real place of focused attention where you get to know your customer, your customer gets a sense of you, and you can make a more honest and authentic impression. That's where shit gets real, right? Okay, number 10. If you're going to be a user on a platform, you should aim to be the best. The power user, the rock star, you know, the rock star guest in the hotel. That's how you succeed. To do that, you need to offer something great. And it's true, you know, that that you may be commoditizing a great product on that platform if it's really competitive and there's a lot of competition there, but it's better to offer some great meaty products and content than some cynical, spiteful, third-rate hack job just because you're angry and bitter that it's so competitive and saturated. And this is where people screw up the math here. And they often want to keep their best nuggets and lures and freebies on their web presence. But the truth is, you know, whatever goes on the platform, either way, it will reflect on you and your brand with a group of people where other people are working to attract a larger crowd for you. So it's far better to have great content all over the place with even meteor links and lures back to your your HQ, your mothership, your your primary web presence, um, than it is to have crappy content outside of that that primary web presence. And this is a tough lesson to learn, and people ignore it because it means doing even a better job in creating even more content and being even more than a one trick pony when it comes to to product offerings. You know, if you're Looking to say, uh, if, if you're going to go, um, if you're out of ideas after one guest post or guest podcast, you aren't ready for prime time. I'm sorry, you don't have the depth and substance needed to really backfill that product line to create an engaging, captivating uh, experience that's on par with the rest of the market. You need to do more work. I know you feel like you're working hard, but you need to make crumbs, cupcakes that lead all the way back to the bigger cakes. There's a lot more baking to do, and I know that that upsets a lot of people, but you can't just do the minimum advertised. You will not win. They will take your money and and they won't care when you cry about it. It's not fair. Them's the breaks, right? This is the difference between success and participation. You got to aim to win. All right, number 11. You got to judge a platform based on its operational integrity. This goes back to how do you spot that you know authentic place where you can invest uh, your time. Every platform, every business and person makes a laundry list of promises and agreements. They promise to deliver value 
uh, quality of service and integrity, right? This happens all the time. Everybody's brand claims these things, but very, very, very few of them know what that means in terms of their operations, in terms of their management style, in terms of how they manage their employees, how they source their materials, all of it. The reality is you need to go in with your eyes wide open and realize how many of them fail to be consistent between their promises and their designs, their operations and practices. You need to measure the consistency between their words and deeds. This is what operational integrity is. It's not just what is the consistency between their marketing and the end product. You need to look, you know, companies are more transparent than ever. You have more access to more information than ever before. You can figure this out. You know, uh, the value proposition and the experience, hand in hand, it's consistency in word and deed. And this is a major part of being heroic. And that's what I like to instill in brands is substance and quality and alignment. Uh, and, and it goes back to having a cape, right? Character, alignment, purpose, and energy. Um, and if, if you ain't got those, I don't know that I want to do business with you. And if I am, I'm going to figure you're going to try and game me and I need to game you in response to ensure that I'm going to be successful. That's, that's right. I mean, that's the bottom line. All right. So that's all. Those are the 11 tips. I hope they're eye-opening. I hope they tick you off. Um, I hope this episode was awesome for you. I hope, you know, you contact me about it. I hope you, you, you know, we start a conversation about it. Um, and I hope you're empowered for listening to this podcast. So, you know, please do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes or send me some feedback at, at getheroic.com uh, and share this podcast with a friend. All right. That's all the time we've got for today. It's time for the jam session. I know this has been the longest one probably, but uh, let's get the pl- blood pumping and let's end it on a note of absolute positivity. And thank you so much for listening to the Heroic Hour. Let's rock out. Welcome to the Hidden Track After Party for episode 14. I wanted to give a bonus tip today and really share this um, because I wanted to end this on a positive note. Um, despite what may be, appear as my survivalist or thrivalist cynicism out there, it's not. I'm a really positive person. Um, and I wanted to say that, you know, the best platforms, the best social networks are the ones that are transitioning from small to big. And I want you to pay attention to that. That's when the growth and benefits are at their peak. Um, and competition is fairly limited. So when when 
platforms are on the rise, this is the best time to that's the best time to get involved. The the best platforms are the ones on the move from tiny unknowns to amazing knowns. You see platforms go through phases and, and you want uh especially in terms of like social networks, you want to to get them when they're ripe, when they're they they require a minimum amount of effort for a significant reward and positive returns. These can slingshot you forward to elevate you through uh, before the mass herd arrives. A good platform, an ethical platform, something that's really designed to foster and strengthen a sincere, professional, and authentic community is truly created, operated, and focused on adding value to both sides uh, of the equation of or the transaction beyond bringing them together. It's not enough to bring both sides together to bring a deal together because you must facilitate a greater value in order to make up for the potential for bullshit and shenanigans and gamesmanship that happens just from existing as a platform. So, a good platform will elevate and distinguish you or your brand um, and increase your visibility, your reputation, your reach, your authority. And and it's it's kind of like, you know, remember back in 2006 when when Facebook wasn't as big yet and, and LinkedIn and others used to talk about these capabilities, like elevating you, Right. And it's a different world now, ain't it? Because once they get mature, things change a whole hell of a lot and not not for your benefit necessarily. And, you know, a, another key element of a great platform, five-star feedback and peer review, man. These are better indicators that are at least a sliver or degree that indicate that people are paying attention to qualitative relationships, the quality of the signal, not just the number of connections. And these are harder to game, slightly harder to game than like likes, followers, and, and the connection dribble you're used to doing dealing with. So if you're looking for a peer group or a network, you should also be looking for non-solicitous platforms that offer exclusivity because good platforms who care about the growth of their actual users will protect the ecosystem from commoditization, right? One way to do this is to limit competition. Look for community platforms and networks that offer this kind of exclusivity. In fact, you know, um, Check in with us for the Heroic Insider Group. We offer in, uh, we offer both. It's a non-solicitous environment, and it offers exclusivity for people in your caliber. That's the only way we can, pr- you know, protect authentic engagement. Because otherwise, you'll fake it. You won't be authentic with what's really going on in your business and life if you don't feel that it's safe to do so. And to me, that is the signature or good indicator of a good platform, a good network, a good community. And those are the things you need to look for. So anyway. Hope this episode was great for you. Um, You know, may the force be with you, whatever you're doing right now. Getting ready for the holidays, who knows? Thank you for listening to the Heroic Hour. Let's jam out. Here's your last push. (laughs) 